the theme for the afternoon talk is uh, the Dharma and non-duality. So, just in the beginning, just a minute or two, the uh, history and then the application into our explorations here. So, if I recall correctly, one of the great founders and architects, really, of the Advaita tradition, Advaita means duality, Advaita means non-duality, is with Shankara, the great exponent of around the 8th century here in India. Shankara had a radical impact on India in terms of its spiritual uh, religious outlook, travelled extensively and made a significant uh, shift in uh, the priorities for a period of time and gave some revival to uh, aspects of the uh, Hindu uh, tradition. There were a subsequent number of those who realizations and teachings Um, but then there was rather a long gap and pause as far as I can see until we come to the 20th century and one of the major uh, influences is Ramana Maharshi of Tiruvannamalai, South India who lived from around 1880 to 1950 and uh, with his inquiry into the question of uh, uh, who am I? And we have seen, those of you who have some exposure in India and as well as to the West, that there's quite a lot of interest and exploration of the uh, of um, Advaita, of uh, non-duality. There. I'd just like to explore Uh, the Dharma with you and include within that exploration the value and importance in terms of non-duality, benefits and limits and being here. So to begin. When a person, woman or man comes into the exploration of these kind of teachings and practices Generally speaking, there is a basic and simple duality, which is fine. The duality is called path and goal. One explores a path and keeping trust and steady with the exploration of this path, it contributes to finding a goal of which there are many words which can be used. The uh, Dharma teachings tend to avoid the singularity of the word. So, in the text, as an example, there are more than a hundred different words for the goal. Truth, reality, nirvana, liberation, the immeasurable, the infinite, the unborn, the unconditioned, the uh, uh, unmade, uh, the truth, the deep, uh, and much more. And sometimes, in the language of the duality of path 
and goal. For some people, it is not even necessary to give a name to a goal. Some explorations, meditations, reflections which take place, there is just a sense of being on a path. The experience with the path is regarded as supportive and beneficial for one's life and for others. And one keeps trust with that process. One has some background or history, recent history, which sustains the commitment on the path. Precious and important uh, that may that may be that uh, that uh, is. With anything where there is some commitment to, in this case, the path and the language of the path, there will be, of course, some vulnerability, and the vulnerability will be in the interpretation of the experience of being on the path. And one has to deal with this. Sometimes the view, the interpretation may be, am I making any progress? Am I stuck? Is there a goal? If there is a goal, how far away from it? Is it two steps forward, one step back? Am I on the path? Have I fallen off the path? So in the use of the singular, called the path, a valid concept to use, to be mindful and conscious of the relationship to the path may change according to experience, it may change according to feelings, it may change according to clarity or reactivity. Nevertheless, and it's a duality, but quietly keeping steady with that. I hear often enough people who uh, explored the meditations really felt themselves committed to a path and then kind of forget it. The passage of time goes by and so it's not unusual. I've had people on retreats in their 20s fully dedicated to the path 30 years later and come back on retreat after 30 years and she or he has said, Christopher, what happened to me? I got lost. I got caught up in roles. I got caught up in consumerism, materialism, making money, um, family life, having a good life, or whatever it may have been, what happened. And sometimes people have sat in front of me on the one-to-ones and have been in tears over this. and said, my God, the years went by, I wasted my life. I touched something precious on the, on the retreat or around that time and I just neglected it and forgot it and I just lost my way. It happens. I hear the voice regularly. I hear the voice every year. So there is a path. It requires a a certain dedication. In looking and the exploration of the path, there are three um, kind of fundamentals, 
always hesitate with this word fundamental, but fundamental. Three things which cannot be neglected. One of those are the ethics. A life committed to non-violence, non-abuse, non-exploitation. That is the ethics. Not only of oneself, but of others, of creatures, of the environment. It's tremendous dedication. It requires a lot of looking at our life, seeing where we can make changes, and therefore the, the, the Pali word for this is sila, S-I-L-A. It's ethic, but it carries with it Victorian uh, translators, the old English colonialists, translated it as virtue. It's got a heartful sense of caring. And this is, a, this is a, the sila, a heartful sense of caring, not wishing to harm, not wishing to hurt. That's you know, quite a practice to engage in. So the non-harming, the non-violence, sometimes called the five precepts, ethics with heartfulness. The second area, we've been touching on this of course with the days of calm, clarity, composure, steadiness, mindfulness, meditation, reflection, it's all in that area. And the third are the wisdom aspects, the insights, the understanding which emerge out of it. So, in these teachings, Dharma teachings, with the freedom of exploration, which is precious and important for, uh, for us, yet there are some things which are, cannot be dispensed with, not to be neglected, not to be ignored. Ethics, with the heart, fullness, calmness, clarity of being, and the wisdom aspect, the teachings, the understanding. And when we understand something, it stands under us. It's no longer a problem, it's no longer threatening. That's what understanding is. And these three are really precious areas there. Staying with the, the duality of experience, and especially the how-to on both of these. But if we look at ourselves, and particularly in this case, at the wanting, not the hunger for in the healthy way that was referred to yesterday, not the longing for, which can be really deep and beautiful there, not the intention to act, to explore, to meditate. Yeah. But the kind of wanting in which it could either be unhealthy and harmful and problematic habits, addictions, patterns, forms of behaviour. Yeah. Or it could be healthy and beneficial, but in the movement towards there is a great deal of dependency on the result. And when we initiate 
anything precious and new in our life, whatever that may be about, can we just remember early on there's the initiation, there's the intention, is there a dependency on the result? Whatever it is about, from a major health issue in one's life or the life of a loved one, from the starting off of a new project to getting something out of a retreat, the movement, the activity and the clarity, just enough, just enough mindfulness, am I dependent on the result for peace of mind? If so, it's going to need, require a rather fresh view of the situation. So the teachings are a, a shift. Here's another duality to really look at with ourselves. From neediness, greediness, excessive wanting or wanting too much, to non-greediness, non-neediness, non-wanting too much. It's a duality, but it's a shift in a certain direction that requires from us to look quietly into the being. Sometimes what we expect, demand, need, want from the other, we cannot live up to ourselves. Sometimes what we are asking of another, expecting another, we can't live ourselves. There's a word for it. Simple. Hypocrisy. So, in a mindful human being, in a relationship, it could be your parents, it could be your friends, it could be your employer, or whoever it might be. Once again, we need just enough mindfulness of the being to recognize if we are asking something of others, are we living it? The other is very angry with us. They treat us rather badly. So, we feel justified in getting angry back. What sort of hypocrisy is that? We're asking somebody else, called mummy and daddy, called the employer, called whoever, to treat us kindly, lovingly, supportively and respectfully. And our reaction is parallel to the one that we receive. Practitioners have no excuse. We do have teachings, we do have practices, we are exploring, and with it comes more responsibility. It's called walk the talk. 
and that applies to all of us and we as teachers have another extra one on top of that and practitioners who come if you spot teachers who you sense are not walking the talk including the privileged one today it is the responsibility to point it out not to sit there and rationalise it and justify it and say oh it's usually a he isn't it it's tragic really oh he is free to do what they like they've got no attachment that can be such a licence for the ego and for abuse so there is a mutual responsibility uh, 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 <laughs> Some, one of the years here one of the meditators on the retreat spotted me nearly every time I come out of my room door like the others of you got the padlock there give it on lock the padlock there and the person on the retreat came up to me and said you're locking your stuff in your padlock is that indicating that you're clinging onto your stuff and you're afraid it might get lost or stolen or something and I said in my room there is a rather large metal box and it's got people's possessions in it including yours would you like me to leave the door open <laughs> day and night to show non-clinging he said oh no 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 please <laughs> lock the door <laughs> alright okay <laughs> sometimes the view I mean he asked the question to be fair the view and the interpretation the perception and the interpretation that goes with the event may not be as what the intention is elsewhere it doesn't have to be about clinging it's about kindness it's about protection it's about being mindful of the trust that people have placed in the door and uh, myself in terms of the items etc in the areas of the challenges and the difficulties still with the dualities of things uh, there this knowing of our selves self meaning here the movement which reinforces the I and generate some problem or suffering for us and manifesting in a variety of ways this is what I'm referring to so there's a movement going on inside the eye is caught up in it and therefore it lands upon whatever it might be so the knowing or the seeing of this in terms of self-knowing knowing of the condition of the self there will be some areas in our life where we're, we know we're a bit more reactive we get, we get a little bit more caught up in 
That could be in the neediness and the wanting and the demanding. could be in the reactivity or the aversion. It could be in, in the view of ourself and giving ourselves a hard time. It could be about fears about the future or whatever. Or it might be a little bit of all of that. We wish to be as clear as possible here what kind of areas do we notice the condition of the self is affected by habits which are not supportive. Those are the ones to really be very, very clear about. Which are our reactive places? This is important. And, pardon me, in the reactive spot, spots, very easily, not to forget that a certain conditioning which goes with this, the way our mind is constructed, Western education, Western thought, Western, I mean, the, the, the education, it doesn't matter what part of the world we're in, which has been imposed there. We often have the thought that we transfer. What I mean by that is, we look at other areas of life, in the engineering world, in the mechanical world, uh, in the technology world, and there may be an issue or a problem, and the question naturally comes to those people who work in that area, how to resolve this? How to resolve this? And the skilled people, sometimes it's for our welfare, sometimes it's definitely not, there is the wish to bring about a how to, to fix this, how to solve this, how to so everything works better. We easily, because we're so soaked in materialism, we easily carry it into the meditation hall, into these kind of explorations. And it's important to remember that the how-to is temporarily useful. So the specifics which I just mentioned to you, I want to know, quote-unquote, myself. I want to know the unhealthy, unsatisfactory, problematic, unresolved issues. I want to be as clear as possible about what perhaps one, two, three of them are. I need to know what I need to work with. I may ask the teacher, or look in the book, or whatever, how do I deal with this? The teacher, sadly, <laughs> may provide <laughs> some how-to methodology. Now, I do, regularly, obviously. I say, oh, practice this, this could be the benefit, practice this, and so forth. But there is a point where the how-to can no longer work. Do not think the methodology of process 
and movement and getting the right technique and the right method uh, all neatly in place can resolve everything with life. We are not mechanical creatures, we're organic. So the relative use of the practical, you know, the step-by-step how-to form, and if you've looked at any area and you've given it a lot of care and attention and variety of how-to methods have been used, and you are saying to yourself, gosh, I tried to do this and I tried to do that, uh, whatever that might be, including meditation, including methods and techniques, and different workshops, and you still feel kind of stuck or um, there, then the how-to method has exhausted its shelf life. It was good for a while, but the strawberries went off. And in that, it's going to require something more immediate. So then it would be a shift from the duality, I am like this, how do I get to there? I am a very needy person, how do I get to being a non-needy person? I am a very um, fault-finding with myself person, how do I get to a non-fault-finding, non-blaming there? I'm a very anxious person. How do I get to a state of non-anxiety? Whatever. But there will be a point for some where you've done just about everything. And still, that kind of gap is there. It may have got a lot smaller, or being well, but it's still there. The tradition to its actually to its credit, has explored this until the holy cows come home. And the exploration is in the language, again another duality worth exploring, called the sudden and the gradual. So quite often with the sudden, sorry, I'm sorry, with the gradual, it may really lead us out of a difficulty. Gradually, step by step, we emerge out of it and we're grateful for that. If it isn't, and the gradual and the how-to is not working for you, despite all your good efforts and your sharings with others and your approaches to it, then the shift is going to be from that to what is sudden. What is sudden? And the teachings use, regularly enough, the word power. Not in a corrupt way, not in an an abusive uh, uh, way. And the word for it, some of you who know uh, uh, part of the world, is Siddhi. So the cities uh, uh, were often and quite often still kind of referred to as you know, the usual passing through the walls, what else goes on? The walking on the water, probably flying through the air, uh, or, or, or all of this 
not appreciating their metaphorical significance, but by and by with all of that there. So, the sudden is what is the change right now which is resolving this? What is the change now? So, no more how to. And the word power regularly used in a beautiful uh, deep sense there might be the power for something to finish right now once and for all and therefore there is no continuity into the future and therefore there is no how to this power we take interest in we may have more power than what we realise to give a small um, uh, a few of them but to give a small uh, example uh, of this uh, I'm a practitioner somebody I know well <coughs> had in, the, in her uh, relationship found herself told me on virtually on the, on the daily basis of with thought and speech consistently finding fault with the good man in her life he put up with it not all of us would but some put up with it and she said, I didn't like myself for, the th for all the fault-finding there. And I did my meditation practices, and I saw my therapist, and I worked on it, and I did the letting go, and I did my loving-kindness meta meditations, etc. All the things that we poor meditation teachers dish out in the how-to school and she said it just still was going on he didn't do the washing up right he played the music too loud he snored in bed you know I mean you know, usual war crimes <laughs> and in this reactivity and then she said one day I woke up and she said to herself this from this moment stops no more I'm wrecking I'm ruining this marriage this relationship this stops from this moment and it did it stopped some might say oh perhaps it was repressed denied or avoided if it was then it would return like a, a volcanic eruption and blow him away into eternity there is the, the power of the statement enough, this stops no more and that clarity and that power
can vibrate right down to the deepest place in one's being. That's a city. That's a power. And we may forget this extraordinary capacity for the um, sudden, immediate transformation of a long-term experience because we've used the power to say enough, no longer, no more. I can tell you an immense relief to the good man in her life. He got back the woman he loved and had had some doubts with this. Just reminder to all of you in, in relationship. So there can be situations where the sudden event may be, could be, if the power is brought to be, is the one that is the resolution. Not to underestimate our extraordinariness as human beings. In the looking, there's a bit more now to the, the duality of things. For the meditator, one of the common areas of the uh, duality there is we're engaged in the meditations, postures and otherwise, and the consciousness can experience a real closeness, it can be very beautiful, with the objective interest, the breath, the body, the feelings, the general feeling tone, the moment, really close and intimate. And in those periods of time, in that Intimacy, that closeness to the objective interest, that intimacy, when there is no pressure on the consciousness, that fuse together, that means the experience of a oneness of the uh, consciousness and the feeling and the object, might be called breath, might be called body, might be called the states of mind, it might be called an expansive awareness, and it's fused together. When that's under pressure, and the appreciation for this experience, not with the thought, but the actual, this then has the opportunity to quietly and gently go deeper in the being to be quietly absorbed into the being. So the oneness, with no gap, the sense of well-being, a quiet stillness, a quiet silence of the being, and in that oneness and fusion, organically, naturally, effortlessly, there is a deepening which takes place. This uh, uh, deepening 
lends itself towards, as the Buddha will say here, towards being an island in the being. It means being steady amidst all of the get that goes on uh, around. It is genuinely worth appreciating these rather precious periods of this fusion in which the thought is hardly around. There is no wish to be anywhere else or do anything else. So it's just being there. There's no gap and a quiet, steadying, gradual, moment to moment, the beings settling into the whole being, right from within. Centering, (coughs) generating inner peace, uh, a calmness, and the emergence out of that is uh, a happiness, sometimes a, a calm, um, relaxed, quiet happy, happiness of the being, and this is extraordinarily precious and and helpful. And a human being who's feeling the happiness within the being makes an important contribution to environmental life, because a human being who is happy in the being has less need, therefore makes less demand on the world. Human beings will not resolve materialism and consumerism just by the willpower of stopping oneself. It will generate putting pressure on oneself. There is the importance of examining that, but the relationship too. The second aspect, that's the, the oneness approach. Sometimes, sometimes called the non-duality. It isn't, but it's sometimes called that. A real sense of oneness there. That can also happen, of course, um, out of the meditations. Yeah. Your, your, our self is rather, rather quiet. There is no sense of a separate self. And in that absence of a separate self, we can experience a, one, a precious oneness with life. And these are rather precious experience to touch into. <clears throat> these experiences will fade. The experiences have to fade because they are composed. They required calmness, they required mindfulness, some quality of attention, some energy, some interest, some patience, often a supportive and caring environment, and all of that gives support to greater depth there. So it's a composed situation. And then, and equally important, no less so, is the simple duality And in that duality, there is the mindfulness or the awareness of the object. There's some space. And these two are really important in life. And human beings, we need both. To take example, simple example. 
you're in a situation where you're uh, you're writing something you're drawing something and you're really absorbed in that activity the world is kind of absent at that time really absorbed in that writing and then somebody opens the door of the room or your telephone rings or whatever and the absorption in the moment you're deeply absorbed in something is changed by something external and there is a movement from being absorbed into something perhaps very creative and precious to being aware of this is what I'm doing but this has just entered into it so then there is the gap understand? you're absorbed somebody knocks on the door the absorption is broken oh and you've got a space sometimes people get very upset and angry and that's how they use the space which is not the best use of the space but people do our exploration here is to know freedom in both directions understand? it is beautiful to be absorbed into it is important to find that space and that awareness of so we're not absorbed but we're aware of we're aware of the feelings we're aware of the breath we're aware of the body we are aware of the experience and that awareness also can allow some clarity and insight to come so we are not pursuing the oneness experience we're not as some teachings do call this is what non-duality is and though a lot of benefit may come from it it can't last because it's come together similarly the awareness of mindfulness of also can't last how could it? and that exploration without preferences what in life then comes the question what in life is worth being absorbed into what in life is really worth being aware of and in the space of asking such a question to listen and if possible with the inner space sometimes actually being absorbed into the inner space to listen to what the deep says it's the, the voice of the deep which is the, the precious one which is original not the habitual one not the one that we're bored to death with <laughs> the amount of times it's just repeated the same old message to us so we appreciate the power of absorption we appreciate the power of awareness of 
we recognize the duality of those two the experience of those two is quite different we're really receptive and open to both of them we, we are quite comfortable with the oneness experience we are quite comfortable with the two-ness experience there, awareness of the other object and therefore it's non-dual we embrace both because life includes both sometimes my what should we call them neo-advaita friends neo-non-dualist friends they get a little bit irritated with me if I uh, uh, use that will say to myself occasionally or they will say of the meditators as well I'll say ah the meditators I used to do meditation I've done course with you Christopher, I've done a course with Zen I've done a course in Mahasi I've done a course Mahasi Saido, a Burmese teacher I've done who else? Oh, Goenkaji of course and, and it's but I realised it's all duality honestly and this goes around the coffee shops no, no, don't have coffee shops chai shops <laughs> here in India and rather a lot in Tiruvannamalai, bless them. And therefore it's all goal-orientated. Therefore it's a duality, but the real teachings are Advaita, that's non-duality. Bless them. Hopeless. Liberation is liberation. It's a duality to dismiss form and cling to the formless it's a rejection oh I used to meditate but it's all goal orientated it's it's just formlessness that's that's what non-duality is it transcends form it is dualistic thinking it's rejection called form to form and it's clinging to formulas that is dualism and so experience uh, uh, here of course I don't find myself sitting in meditation and walking in meditation because um, I'm somehow obsessed with practice in getting, getting a goal but thought doesn't even arise let alone uh, the intention the reason I'm walking up and down same for you or, or, or sit here I love it pretty easy I love it I enjoy it I think just sitting in the quiet and walking up and down sky above and earth below precious and beautiful and a lot of natural renewal comes in the service of others in being a servant of the Dharma 
It just comes out of that. So I prefer the freedom to love and explore the form. And I love the freedom of the formless as well. And when some will say to me, what's the advice friends and some uh, uh, teachers. There's nothing to be done. This is another neo-advaita one line. Everything is perfect. What? Madam! <laughs> Sir! What world are you living in? <laughs> Everything is perfect. Wake up! If everything is perfect, why bother? Why bother? Why do anything? Why love? Why serve? Why explore compassion? Why discover empathy? If everything is perfect? So the image, the idea, gets imposed becomes the view and with that view the language of compassion barely gets a reference the language of service to people animals in the environment barely gets touched upon the language and the practices of karma yoga of uh, service hardly gets referred to simply because a teacher or a group is clinging to the idea everything is perfect and just that one holding to that view that there's nothing to be done at all perfect the one holding to that one view is the obstruction to a liberated life which to release the kindnesses and the compassion and the friendships and much, much more. Just holding to one view. And when there is holding to a view, there's going to be another view. And that is dualistic. So it takes some real you know, exploration in which we genuinely can appreciate the valuable reminders of looking at the the dualities of life. Seeing where we lean one way uh, or, or the other. But remembering that the preciousness in life of a remarkable freedom of life to engage, to be comfortable with the dualities, to appreciate and acknowledge the range in between or the spectrums of what that means and appreciate and love that which is non-dual. So let's in the fullness and the richness of things explore the forms without clinging explore the formless without clinging, explore absorption without clinging, 
explore awareness of, mindfulness of, without clinging. And then we can know a freedom in all the directions and happiness, exploration, <coughs> love. It doesn't have to be worked for, just comes out of our being. We've got some power. Use it. Let's have our quiet minute, shall we? beings be free to engage with the dualities of life. May all beings appreciate the oneness and the diversity of experiences. May all beings be liberated in all directions. Thank you for lending an ear. Time is just coming up to 4.45. <coughs> 45 uh, minutes. There's some uh, th- 